Good evening and welcome to Spirit of Grace Church. We're so glad that you're able to be with us. And through this Christmas season, we're thankful that we're able to spend a few minutes together here in the Word of the Lord and uh, want to, just if, for those that are local, just to remind you that this Sunday we have Sunday school at 9.30, followed by our worship service at 10.30, and we'll have our special Christmas presentation. Uh, the praise team will be singing some of the songs that they uh, sang at the concert, as well as our children's uh, ministries going to be sharing with us in the main service. And just looking forward to a sweet day in the Lord together. Praise God, should the Lord tarry. It's going to be a great, great weekend. I love Christmas, and uh, I, I'm thankful to be able to um, celebrate Christmas with joy in my heart. Uh, I, I love all the gifts. I love all the lights. I love seeing all of those, but there's something about Christmas that always brings me back to Jesus. And I know that that sounds or should sound obvious, but um, when I talk about Jesus, I, I'm talking about the awesome wonder of who he is and the power in knowing who Jesus is. I'm so thankful that he's not a distant God that we can't understand, that we can't be around, that we can't know. I'm thankful, Lord, that I'm thankful to the Lord that he has revealed himself to us in a way that we can have a personal relationship with him. That wasn't always the case. And so tonight I just felt led to just walk through hopefully a very familiar portion of Christmas scripture found in Isaiah chapter 9. We quote it all the time, but I want to break it down just a little bit for us to understand what this prophecy, uh, and, and I don't know that there's any theologian that denies that this prophecy of, uh, of Isaiah 9-6 is not referring to Jesus um, and uh, ultimately referring to uh, really a, um, a kingdom principle, if you will. I, I'm just going to start at verse number one. We don't often, we oftentimes just go right to verse six, but I find this entire chapter uh, very interesting. And I look at um, the part of the reason why the Jews at the time of Christ's birth may have missed him um, because he didn't come in and take over. He came in as a, a little baby and never became a political or a governmental um, authority. That hasn't happened yet. I believe it's still going to happen, um, especially in the millennial. But in our hearts, the kingdom of God today is available to us. So verse uh, chapter 9, verse 1 says, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. That, that lets us know, you know, pretty much right in that area of Galilee, we're going to see some glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you 
as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. I'm going to just stop there just for a moment and see and, and just remind you, this is why a lot of people miss Jesus as the fulfillment of the prophecy of the Messiah. Because you noticed that the, the light and the darkness, yes, that was a principle, but a lot of times that's a spiritual principle we understand. But in those days, a lot of them, the rulers were the light and the peasants were the dark. And, and so a lot of times when you read that, they're looking for an overthrow and looking for the enlargement of Israel, looking for uh, the dividing uh, of the plunder as warriors, breaking the yoke of slavery. All of these things have to do with overthrow in the, in the present world. And uh, I believe that day is still coming, um, but this is the reason why I hesitate to chastise those for missing Jesus, because Jesus didn't fulfill all of the prophecies uh, right away. But then it does say this in verse 6, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. And uh, the passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. And so I want to just share with you tonight a little bit about the revelation of who this child is to be called. This passage of scripture was not fulfilled on Christmas. Now, for you and I that are believers, we can look at Jesus and recognize him as a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. We can look at him in, in that nature, but he really hasn't totally fulfilled all of those prophecies yet. The, the government is not being ruled by the seed of David yet, uh, even though the prophecy said it's going to. And, and so, we live today in parallel kingdoms, if you will, while in earth, the kingdom of heaven, where Jesus does rule and reign, is active in the world today, but politically speaking and naturally speaking, not all of the kingdom principles have come into practice yet. And these declarations of what this son is going to be about, and I believe the the child or the son is referring to Jesus Christ, is there's coming a day when everybody, the Bible says every knee is going to bow, but there's coming a day when people are going to see Jesus as the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Um, and, and that's interesting to note because of what those descriptive statements mean when you break down what the, the, the power in it. So I just want to give you just a quick breakdown of these tonight, and that's, that's the point of this lesson, is to reveal what Jesus personifies in the world today uh, in this kingdom of heaven. There's coming a day in the natural 
where I believe people are going, well, we know it's going to happen, you know, at the very end for sure when it's the Bible declares every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he's the Lord. But he shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Uh, that word wonderful, and I'm just going to break these words down. You, you, most of you know me by now that I, I enjoy going into a deeper word study because I believe uh, the English language is... Um, there, there's a lot more descriptive nature in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek in which the Bible's mainly written and, and than in our English. So wonderful, the word wonderful means what you would, I would think it to mean to a great extent. It means to have wonder or marvel or be extraordinary. But it also goes on to, to when you break down this word in Hebrew, it also means hard to understand or to do hard or difficult things. It's the miraculous aspect of it. Uh, the first time this Hebrew word is used is found in Genesis 18, verse 14, when it's talking about Abraham and Sarah giving birth. And the, the Lord says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? That word too hard is the same word as the word wonderful here. And so he shall be called wonderful. He's hard to understand. Now, let me say this. Um, he is understandable. We can have a revelation of who he is. Here's what's hard to understand when it comes to the concept of the Son, of Jesus Christ. And that is simply this. I believe that God manifests himself in flesh, or the way the book of John says it, the Word was God in verse 1. In verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I believe that God took upon him the aspect of humanity. That I don't know that we'll ever be able to understand on this side, <clears throat> and when we get to heaven, we may not even care, of how deity and humanity, for lack of a better term, fused itself together. We call it the incarnation, how deity became or partly humanity, and humanity took upon it the, the housing, if you will, the flesh, the expression of the invisible God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's wonderful. It's marvelous. It's mind-blowing. It's hard to understand that. And uh, But is there anything too hard for the Lord? He came to us in a wonderful fashion. That word wonderful, even though it means difficult to understand and, and, and hard to grasp a hold of, it's a descriptive word to the word counselor. Notice how the writer of Isaiah, which we tend to think is Isaiah, but he writes it in such a dynamic as its wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father or eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. So he, he uses a descriptive measure of the office or the position that he wants to, to be a part of in your life. So what's wonderful? Here's what's wonderful in this prophecy he is a wonderful counselor. And the counselor, for the most part, does mean what we would call, you know, you need counseling or you go to a counselor to get advice. That word in the Hebrew is advice as well, but it even goes beyond advice or guidance or uh, uh, re revealing uh, understanding, if you will. There, there's a couple other words that when you look this up in Hebrew, it comes, it stands out on the page for me. Number one is purpose. He gives us a wonderful purpose, a wonderful purpose, a hard to understand purpose. 
sometimes we get so wrapped up trying to figure out what our life is all about that we should take a step back and realize that he created a wonderful or a hard to understand purpose in who he is. When we're attached to him, he can reveal to us what that purpose is. Another word uh, that the Hebrew brings for this word counselor is devise or to plan. I like those two words because uh, to me, in a lot of ways, this word coincides with the New Testament word logos, a divine plan or a blueprint or a thought or an expression uh, that that the Bible in John 1, 1 uses the word logos. And so when God creates the world, he's created, and when he creates man, the Bible says he created him in his, in his, us in his image. That image was the image of who God was going to become. He created us based on the blueprint of the flesh that he was going to uh, become in the Christmas story. It's what the Christmas story is all about. God becoming a little baby. God taking on humanity, robing himself, manifesting himself, however you want to, to say it, incarnating himself. And uh, so he is a wonderful counselor. He understands the plans and the, the uh, devices to get those plans or those purposes to be accomplished. The other word that stuck out, stuck out to me is the word determine. He is a hard to understand, but he determines the path with which to take. Oh, if we would just listen to him more often. We try so hard to figure things out on our own that we oftentimes fail to realize that we have a wonderful counselor. We have somebody that takes the complexities of life and can make it very simple. Even though we don't understand, he understands it because he is a wonderful counselor. He is a wonderful determinant to the things that God wants to have in our lives. Why don't we rest on that concept? And instead of spending all of our energy and coming up empty in the things that we want to do and accomplish, why don't we just say, Lord, thy will be done? just like he taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That's a wonderful counselor. But then he goes on, he says, he'll also be called the mighty God. The mighty God. Mighty means that. Strong, powerful, mighty, almighty. And God in, in this passage is, it's just the word E-I or E-A, um, spelled E-I in English, it's the Hebrew. But if you look at what it means, it means Jehovah, the one true God. So the Son that's getting ready to come is the one true living God, Jehovah. It's the reason why we say that Jesus is the manifestation, the expression, the revealing of Almighty God. He's not a second person. He's not dual uh, he, he's dual in nature, but not dual in personage. It's not different people. Uh, like I've shared with our church many, many times before growing up on one side of the platform, pastor put, he did not send someone else to save the world. On the other side, it said he came himself. I believe that the God, the originator, the, uh, uh, the everlasting father that we're going to talk about in a minute, I believe that he became a baby at Bethlehem and took upon him the name of Jesus, took upon him the role of the Son, <clears throat> because that Son 
is, according to this passage of Scripture, the mighty God, the all-powerful, strong Jehovah, one true God. And, and so that excites me because that lets me know when I pray to Jesus and when Jesus says all power has been given unto me, that Jesus is the human aspect of Almighty God. It's Jesus in his humanity that understands how I feel, understands how I operate, understands the struggles that I have, understands, the Bible says it this way in Hebrews four fifteen. he was tempted in all points like as we are. He gets us. He knows us. And he doesn't know us just in an intellectual concept or a creative concept. Let me, let me put it to you this way. <clears throat> Excuse me. If somebody creates an entity that has feelings, okay, I, if, if say I can create a, a clock and a clock has feelings, I can dictate to you how a clock should work. <clears throat> I can dictate to you how the hands of the clock should work, whether it's electricity-based or battery-based, and I can tell you because I've designed it how it's supposed to work. But when stuff starts happening, when um, the, it gets old, when it gets dusty, and the, the, the cogs and the machines don't work as well, and, and if the clock had feeling, and I know it's an, this is an analogy and all analogies break down, but that clock knows what it feels like to have the dust and the grime of life going in between all of its components. Me as the creator, I just all I know is I just need to get rid of the dust. I hope that makes sense. But what God said is, I don't want to just get rid of the dust that's getting into the cog of my creation. I want to know what my creation is feeling and, and operating so that I can empower the 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 components of my creation with the ability to lean on the creator and have the creator's tools working through them to take care of the situation. I hope you get that. <clears throat> he empowers it by him becoming a, a person, a man, humanity. He has, <clears throat> excuse me, equipped us. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm swallowing a frog or something. He has equipped us with the ability inside of us through the Holy Spirit to take care of things in the world, not in our own accord, but because the Creator has instilled us with His power. That's the mighty God. The everlasting, or in some versions, the eternal Father. Okay, That word everlasting or in eternal means in perpetuity. It means the past, the present, and the future altogether. It, it, it's the way that he spoke in the book of Revelations when he said, I was the first, the last, the beginning of the end, that which was and is and is to come, the Almighty. Jesus is declaring his e eternality or his everlasting power, if you will, or place. <clears throat> and in perpetuity, over and over again, he will always be. There's no changing that. And the Bible says it this way, he's the everlasting Father. That, that word means the head, or the founder, or the originator, or the producer, or the generator and protector. That's what the Father is. It's, it, and so we like to take this father-son relationship in Scripture and say, well, see, that's two different people. That's, that's a father relating to a son and a son relating to a father. And, and that's not entirely true because 
what it is, is not so much father, son as created creator. Uh, that which was uh, accomplished to that which originated that task. And so when we see the father-son relationship in Scripture, when Jesus uh, defers to the father, he's not deferring to another person. He's deferring to what was the original. <clears throat> what was the original? Well, what was the, the original? What happened before time? God is a spirit, John 4, 24. He was the originator. He was the producer, the founder. He was the generator. He was the protector. He was the head. <clears throat> and he was everlasting. Okay? And, and so when he talks father-son relationship, he's talking about the begotten and the begetter. And, and, and the originator that originated. See, when Jesus, <clears throat> the, the role of the son, the humanity or the flesh of the logos, the flesh of deity, did not come into existence until what we're celebrating now at Christmas. There was no fleshly human aspect to God in the Old Testament outside of what he saw that he was going to become at Bethlehem. And so the writer of Isaiah is telling us that this child, Jesus, prophesied of Jesus, we know already that it's Jehovah because of the previous declaration of who he was going to be called, the mighty God. And now he's being also said he is the, uh, uh, the eternal or the everlasting father. That lets me know that the originator is found in Jesus. And not his humanity, but in Jesus is his deity. Jesus is the one that manifests the reality of he which produces it all. When God said, let there be light, and then the Bible says in about Jesus is not that he was that light that was spoken. It just says he is the light. <clears throat> and, and so we see all of these things together, and it's amazing. It's what Christmas is all about. It's what gets me excited about Christmas is the great God of eternity became this little baby so that you and I could relate to that which is divine. And then the next one, the Prince of Peace. The word prince has to do with overseer, nobility, governing, reigning, prevailing over, having dominion over peace. Aren't you glad that Jesus gives peace? And not only that, but he rules over it. He governs it. He has dominion over it. He prevails over peace. And, and here's the thing. Peace, that word peace in Hebrew is a wonderful term. It is not the absence of trouble, and it has to do with tranquility to a certain extent. But here's the first words that are written about the word peace uh, of the word shalom. Completeness, soundness, friendship, welfare, protection, and tranquility. We like to narrow peace down just to the absence of trouble, but peace is the completeness. He rules over your completeness. He rules over your soundness. It's the reason why I have said, and I believe this, not in a te technical, natural term, but if somebody doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, they are missing out on the peace of a sound mind. The Bible in the New Testament said he did not give us uh, uh, confusion, but he gave us sound mind. He gave us love, power, according to the Spirit of God. It was the thing, the prince of peace. He's the ruler, the, the head, the overseer of our completeness. He is the governor of our soundness. We get to have a sound mind because he is our prince. 
we get to be having a friendship with the one that rules over all things. He is the Prince of Peace. And so this Christmas, the next couple of days leading up to the time that we have with our families and all the food and all of the celebration and all of the decoration and and, and gifts, and I'm all for all of that. The greatest gift that we were ever given and the whole reason behind Christmas was because there was born in Bethlehem a child, a son, if you will, that was going to become, or by becoming a man, was fulfilling the blueprint or the plan of God to become like us, to fix the gap that was happening because of sin. And when we look at Jesus, real quick again, we see he is a wonder, a marvel, wonderful, hard to understand sometimes, but Nothing's too hard for him, though. But he's a wonderful counselor, a divisor, a planner, a guide, a, an advisor, a purpose giver, a determinant of destiny. He is the mighty God, the strong, all-powerful Jehovah, one true God. And he is in perpetuity. He is the past, the present, and the future. He as Time does not limit him. Because he is the originator, the producer, the generator, and the protector of all things. He is also the prince of peace, the ruler, the, the head, the overseer, the, the nobility, the governor, the one who prevails over and has dominion of our peace, our soundness, our completeness, our friendship and welfare. That's the Christmas gift. And the exciting thing about it all is found in verse number seven. His government and its peace, the way he does things and its fulfillment, soundness, or completeness will never end. When you grab a hold of Jesus, you're grabbing a hold of the thing that's never going to end. You're grabbing a hold of the thing that's going to be fair and just for all eternity, according to Scripture. That's the Jesus I give to you. If you don't know him today, that's the Jesus I'm introducing to you. I'm introducing you to the wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace, and you will call his name Jesus. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. I get Jesus. There's nobody like him. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I'm asking you at this Christmas season to bless people with the revelation of who you are, the understanding of who you are. Let them feel the strength of your embrace. We'll be careful to give you praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen.